You right. just say welcome to the fifth of the other day and this is my ghost. Go, this is my ghost. Should we just start the whole thing again? Yeah, sure. Because right. that was awful. I'm sorry. Can okay. we just... What are you doing here? Why don't you take this bottle and go to bed? Okay, can you just start the podcast, please? Welcome to episode five of Cinephile Paradiso. My name is David Charles Collins, and sitting opposite me with these beautiful brown eyes is Quaid Kirshner. This week, our theme is psychotherapy. Uh huh. So, our special guest for the week, and our first special guest for this entire series, which so, is so really far, our specialist guest. Yeah, which is really exciting, is our dear friend Justin, who is a psychologist. So, no better to have him on when we are talking about psychotherapy. How are you, Justin? Hey, not too bad. Yes. Great <laughs> yes. to be here. And but yes, I work as a psychologist in Sydney. I like how you say specialist guest, because yes, I am the specialist, I guess, in this trio in psychotherapy. Yeah, definitely the specialist. Some of us <laughs> might need it more than others, but you know more than... Well, I don't know. Maybe you guys know a lot more than me, about me than being in the therapy room. And is this, the, judge. <laughs> is this the first time you've done a podcast before? Yes. Oh, yes, that, that's really cool. Now, why did you pick for us psychotherapy? Uh, yeah, so I thought, well, what's something I know a little bit about? And I thought, well, after seven years of training, I know a little bit about psychotherapy. <laughs> and also, what's something that, you know, is often represented in film. And they do such a terrible job. They always make, I guess, the, the therapist seem so terrible. So I thought it'd be an interesting thing to watch a couple of films that look into psychotherapy or represent psychotherapy in some way. And then we could, I guess, dissect it. Of course. And what do you think the most common misconception is about psychologists? Oh, that we're all like trying to read your brain and like change your mind and they were all evil. It's like the, the therapist is always evil in films and TV show. Do you remember the first time you watched a movie and saw a representation of a psychologist and saw it as something that inspired you to want to enter that field? Um, I mean... Even for superficial reasons, if it was glamorous, just like the fluffy jumpers and the beautiful <laughs> chasse longes. Goodwill Hunting. <laughs> I mean, speaking of that, to be honest, it probably was Goodwill Hunting. Oh, no, really? And then I remember oh. when I was like in uni and then shortly after uni, I really wanted like a tweed jacket and I wanted the elbow patches. Um, um, and the like, the scruffy face and I mean, you've got the couch. qualification. Surely that's the hard part. Now can't you have all the tweed <laughs> jackets your heart desires? No, where do you find the elbow patches? That's true. You make them yourself. Oh. Okay. <laughs> and I think you buy them separately and sew them on. Yeah? Yeah. yeah that's a lot of work. Because you don't want to wear down the, pa the corners of your jacket that you wear for like decades and decades. Right. Anyway, we've talked about the fashion yeah. of psychology. Let's talk exactly. about psychology. And um, how long have you been practicing for now? Are we allowed um, to ask that? We have to be very careful with some of the questions we ask because we don't want to expose, expose. the fraud that I am. No, no, no. I, look, I, listen, I don't think I'm saying too much when Justin actually has a few clients that are celebrities. <laughs> I mean, I don't want to give any hints away, but Delta Goodrum. <laughs> oh, no, I don't know. I'm joking. That would She's be fine. So funny. She doesn't need any help. <laughs> <laughs> She's so good, Graham. No, so I was a re first registered provisionally in 2000 and I think 17 and then first fully registered in 2021. Yep, so I've been fully registered for two years. And you've been working for the last two years outside of uni? Yeah, so working like on and off since 2017, but obviously under supervision in those early years and then I guess working as a fully registered psych for the past two years, yes. And are you loving it? Yeah, super interesting, yeah. What would you say your main objective is when you're at work? What's the most common thing you find yourself doing other than filling out reports? If, if you had to explain to someone who came down in a spaceship from an, like another planet what your job role is, how would you describe it simply to them so that you felt like they understood the gist of it? Um, so I went to a conference a couple months ago and they phrased it super, super well. They said something like, like someone comes into our room and we talk for an hour and hopefully they feel better after a couple of weeks of doing that. That's actually pretty great. <laughs> and yeah, I guess that's what we do. Amazing. And what was the film that you picked for us to watch? So I chose a classic that I've always wanted to watch and haven't, hadn't seen yet. So I chose The Three Faces of Eve. Mm, amazing. And would you like to tell us a bit about the plot? Yep. Uh, so Three Faces of Eve came out in 1957. It's an American film. So they say it's a film noir mystery drama. And it's about a lady called Eve 
and her three personalities that come out and how she gets treated through psychotherapy by the doctor, Dr. Luther. Uh, interesting. And do you have any like um, interesting things to tell us, like trivia or stuff like that? Yeah, yeah, so the movie was based on this lady who apparently had a couple of uh, personalities and she was diagnosed with multiple personality disorder and then they based the film on her life. She later came out and wrote a book um, in, I think, 1977 where she sp spoke about, you know, I am Eve and this is my story. Um, and then actually that same lady, years later, it turns out that she had a couple more personalities. So she actually had over 20 personalities. And then there was another book and film that was made about her called Sybil. Um, I didn't know Sybil was based on the same case. Yeah. Yeah, yes. wow. So the same case. So the, um, Three Faces of Eve came out first and... Um, I don't want to spoil the ending, but the no, this is fine. This is a spoiler yeah, podcast. We, we spoil yeah, everything. It's, it's okay. We, we ruin it. everything. Yeah. Okay. So at the end of Three Faces of Eve, she sort of seems cured um, <laughs> by her challenges, and then apparently in the real life story, that sort of did happen. She had a period of stability, and then years later, all the the other personalities emerged, and apparently they came out in threes as well, all the way up oh, to wow. yeah, over twenty. But Eve also wasn't her real name. Hey, Eve was just. No the i guess the, the show name i, I have it? here apparently um the real quote-unquote eve when she had to sign the contract to you know pass her rights over um she signed them as three different personalities yeah yeah and apparently they asked her to like go into those personalities each time to sign the contract each time so can you tell us a bit about split personality disorder is this something you've actually seen in the flesh because in the film they describe it as something that's incredibly rare and i know that the film is set in the 50s so potentially it was something that was difficult to diagnose or notice but is it something that you actually do see quite commonly short answer no um, <laughs> so yeah so back then what was known as multiple personality disorder is now known as dissociative identity disorder and it's a little bit of like that debated i guess topic some people think it exists some people think it definitely doesn't exist i don't know where i sit i don't know i see both sides i think it's an incredibly difficult diagnosis to work out and sort of disorder to diagnose just because of the overlap i would imagine with so many other things you can sort of see that it'd be could be diagnosable as dissociative identity disorder but also i mean it could be mania it could be bipolar it could be um, a whole bunch of other things so yeah incredibly hard to diagnose and yeah, not commonly seen. Can I, can I ask you about something? Because I'm the sort of tin hat um, wearing lunatic that likes to listen to conspiracy podcasts. Uh, you're aware of MKUltra yeah. program? The idea yeah, that they, like, yeah. yeah, allegedly they tried to um, inflict trauma on young people to try and split their personalities so that they could program them as different like identities that had different skill sets. But something that when I'm listening about this hoo-ha that you know, is, it was a real project but allegedly had very little success, just traumatized a bunch of people. They talked about in real cases of dissociative personality disorder, how some of the, uh, like not only do you get things like different accents and different character traits, like swearing or being aggressive, et cetera, et cetera. Sometimes, you know, one personality might actually be gluten intolerant and act and not be tolerant to gluten while they're in that personality because the persuasion is so strong. I think the movie alluded to that slightly in the beginning when she said that she was allergic to nylon and started taking her stockings off. I don't know whether that was just them winking at the idea that this is the slutty personality yeah. because every time she came out, I don't know whether you noticed, but the saxophone started playing and her hair got all messy and evil. But is there something that they actually talk about when you were studying this or is that just a bit of like, is it hyperbole? Well, like they sort of don't mention it much in the study because it doesn't come up very often. And then even then it's like a bit of a controversial diagnosis to yeah. give. And then, yeah, there's stories like different personalities that different eye colors and like mm. things like that, which just seems so out there. It's like the craft. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, to be honest, because yeah, like in the film, there's Eve Black, who is sort of like the sexy one. And I think that makes total sense. I think if you're going to have a personality that's sort of, I guess, split off, it probably would be a little bit like disinhibited and a little bit, you know, risk taking and doing all the other things that the other personality wasn't able to do or couldn't do or can't do for some reason. Well, can I interject? because I've been told that as individuals we have three different perspectives towards our identities the first being how we think people see us the second being how we wish to be seen by others and the third being who we truly are and I related Eve's three different personalities to that white is how Eve thinks people perceive her black is how Eve wishes to 
to be perceived and Jane is who Eve truly is. Did you get this from a Facebook Disney? No, no, I, I, that's, what, well, I, that's what I got from the film. Those yeah. three different personalities that she had. Yeah, well, I think that sort of makes sense. I don't know. I think it's an interesting way to look at it. More of like a philosophical way, I guess. Yeah, and I'm going to also assume that people with multiple personality disorders can't just change personas upon request like it was portrayed in the film oh yeah like when they were doing it in the film i was like hmm i don't know if i believe that I, I like i like the way hypnosis was sort of used as a magical wave of the wand like doctor who's magical screwdriver like let's just hypnotize her and something will happen yeah yeah and yeah even when he was doing it like looking at the psychotherapy so i don't know heaps about hypnosis I haven't been trained in hypnosis but i do know that it wouldn't take 0.2 of a second like it did in the film is it a legitimately recognized form of therapy yeah. So, I mean, depends who you ask. But yes, lots where of Where you people. work, would they accept it as something? Um, where we work at the moment, like when, where I'm at, we don't really use it. But at other clinics that I've worked at, yes, there's been people who have been trained in hypnosis and have used hypnosis, yes. So I guess the reason that we picked this topic was, I mean, we're talking a lot well, about... Well, we didn't pick the topic. Justin picked the topic. The reason the topic was picked <laughs> is because we were uh, wanting to exploit your expertise on psychotherapy. So how do you feel like the doctors and psychotherapists were represented during this film, not just as professionals, but also for the time period. Yeah, well, that's been a, like a tricky thing to sort of recognize because there was definitely things that I saw the psychiatrist doing that I was like, oh yeah, you know, tick the box, that makes sense. I understand why he's doing that. And then there was other things I'm like, oh no, <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> like what, for example? Well, he seemed to cross a lot of boundaries, like asking certain questions, answering certain questions that I feel like he probably shouldn't have been answering. Like when she was being dirty and flirty, like trying to go dancing and he's like, oh, if you weren't my patient in a heartbeat yeah exactly <laughs> yeah. like when you think about it like what would be the reason for him to answer in that way totally no not related to her treatment at all so understandable yeah. that makes no sense why he would sort of cross that boundary do you um, think it's relatable how he every five seconds was running into another room to be like oh my god you have to see this and i mean this sincerely do you think in an environment like this where there's something super rare or anecdotal if you were seeing it you'd just be like just hold on a second and you'd run next door to get your colleague and go you'll never believe what's happening next door well yeah, and that was the weird thing about watching the film is because, you know, part of me was watching the film to appreciate the film and the other part of me was like, oh, hey, okay, I'm watching this film so that I can comment on the psychotherapy in the film. And that was one scene where I was like, oh, do I agree with that? I do agree with like checking in with another clinician to hear their opinion. I probably wouldn't be in the same room as them because I think that that would, I guess, muddy the interpretation and muddy the presentation because obviously the client is then gonna be like, why is this other person in the room with you? Like, why do I need two people here? Yeah, what's going on? Why is this escalating? So yeah. for context, everyone, the psychiatrist's name in the film is Dr. Curtis Luther, who is played by Lee Jacob. And I do wanna just continue by saying, I personally found the film very surface level. There wasn't many layers and it was very one note. Pretty much like what you see is what you get. However, what does carry this film is Joanne Woodward's performance. Initially, I was worried because the first personality you meet is Eve White, and there was absolutely no charisma whatsoever in that performance. But as soon as Eve Black comes out of the woodworks, Joanne's acting comes alive and she was much more engaging to watch. Yeah, I mean, I guess that I found that uh, the depiction of three personalities, like you were talking about before, almost incredibly base level archetypes for the time, I think that that's understandable. There's sort of the reserved, withdrawn personality, and then there's the outlandish, sexual, deviant, wanna go dancing side. And then when the third personality emerges, it is very tidy from a narrative perspective because there is this balanced, eloquent woman who's, I do not, I'm not aware of who I was before, but I understand the child needs a good mother, and I believe in love if I find the right man, instead of this person who's withdrawn and thinks they need to fulfill the roles that are being projected onto them, and then the person that wants to be the wild card. I, I think for a movie that goes for an hour and a half, I understand why they tried to tidy it up so neatly. It was a very, I guess, complicated issue to be tackling for the time that the movie was made. So I can see why there was pressure to make it more simplistic than the reality. It was a bit awkward with the, like, the, the, the narrator at the beginning. The narrator, just the narrator narrating like, you, parts of the do, film. Do you know what like, I will say though? Something that I think was beautiful about this film, and you mentioned that it was a noir, is that it was shot gorgeously and treated gorgeously. And I actually, I was 
it, the introduction actually lulled me into the story because mm. there's this beautiful like grayscale of this gentleman speaking quite well to the camera, sort of giving context to where the story was going to take off. And it, I actually found it helped lead me into it. But it I was, felt like it created a stigma because it's like, oh, come see my uh, like circus freak that I'm about to present to you. Yeah, so the, I think there's a bunch of things there to unpack. I, <laughs> I agree with like what David said in that the style was very pretty. I remember one scene at the beginning of the film when you're introduced to Eve White and her husband and I agree with Quaid I feel like the character like there really wasn't much there and I remember thinking I was looking at the set and I was like wow the most interesting thing I'm looking at is the house and I know that the house isn't even real but it just looks very pretty and the characters are sort of just as in the in, house that Eve and her husband were living in yeah the living yeah. room and the bedroom I was like oh that looks all very nice and orderly and neat and pretty and then I'm like oh it's probably just a set it's probably not even real but I thought that was the most interesting part of that scene and I thought clinically it was very interesting to see at the end of the film the personality who ended up I guess being in the lead and the one that didn't dissolve was the third personality which I thought well I don't know clinically does that make sense if you have this client presenting to you being Eve White and you would assume that that was the original personality because I mean she had a mother and she had a father and she had a history so everyone knew her as Eve White but Eve White was the one who dissolved I mean that's the first as well she she disappeared the first yeah I'm, I would assume that you would want to integrate the second and the third personalities into the first one to sort of make the first one more complete yeah um, rather than to sort of get rid of well it. they literally said that day Eve White died and it's like would you say that that personality is dead as if it was a third person living inside that body or like you said they're facets of a personality that need resolving or addressing yeah and that's very much like sort of how you would look at it sort of fragmented parts i guess of a person that would need integration uh, which happens to like varying degrees in all of us at some point and obviously dissociative identity disorders uh, when that happens on the more severe end. But yeah, I didn't really think it made sense to sort of get rid of the original and end up with the third. Well, you would assume that the third wouldn't really be a fully realized personality, especially since she didn't really have a history, did she? She also seemed so calm for someone who was a third personality because she's like, I don't know who I am, but she seemed very comfortable with that. And again, she seemed to be the resolve personality because then she met a handsome man who actually encouraged her and loved her vulnerability for expressing these things rather than saying, I'm going to beat this out of you like the first husband did. Yeah, can we, thank you for talking about the husband because I want to mention the husband, sorry, Lisa Reno. Um, what I do want to say is that Ralph White, who is Eve White's husband, played by David Wayne, I found his character very reflective of the times because there wasn't much education or knowledge about mental health, especially in multiple personality disorders. And I love the scene where Dr. Curtis Luther is explaining to Mr. White his wife's dis disorder and he just stares blankly at him the whole time with the most stupid expression. It reminded me of that time where Paul, when Pauline Hansen got interviewed and didn't understand the meaning of, <laughs> of xenophobia. So she, just, so she just stared out blankly and didn't know how to respond. Yeah, I thought that was really interesting to sort of like the husband keep not understanding things and the wife being like, oh my God, am I crazy? And the psychiatrist being like, no, she's not crazy. And the husband's like, oh, what's going on? Who's the one acting irrationally? It's probably the husband. The husband <laughs> was awful. He needed to be locked up. I hated the way he spoke to her, how he would say, come here, close the door. He spoke it, to her like she was another, like another child. child. Exactly. It's like, that isn't your child. There that was is also your wife. Two, two episodes ago, Quaid, you were talking about the disparate levels between age and attractiveness of couples in films. And you have this glamorous young actress playing the wife. And then you've got this rickety old man playing Oh, he was just awful. That was intentionally, like, I think, done to sort of represent the horrible man that she's found herself with for being weak and subservient. Because in the end, she does end up with someone who respects and admires her. And he's a soldier and an honorable man. We've been talking about, I guess, psychotherapy perspective. But more broadly, Justin, how do you feel about split personality being used or, you know, dissociative personality, I guess, if you were referring to it correctly? I don't know. As a plot device generally in film because I've got a lot of strong feelings about it, not from a psychological point of view, but I guess this is something that Quaid can talk to as an actor. 
when it's used in things like Split or the United oh. States of Tara, where it just sort of sometimes it oh, is feels- that about, Is that about multiple personality disorder? Uh, yes, and it feels like in the end that you're sort of watching an it's exercise- It's a plot device. Well, it feels like you're watching the actors flexing their improv muscles, doing an acting exercise going, oh, and now I'm from the States, and oh, this is me as the cleaner lady, oh, I'm this personality now, and it feels a little bit tacky, in my mm, opinion. They're doing like a Hans Zimmer in Christopher Nolan's Dunkirk, where they just jerking themselves off, like telling themselves how amazing they are at their art and craft. Yeah, um, well I think like if you look at the film, like if you step back from the psychology part of it and just look at the character, I feel like the character who had the most depth was Eve Black, which mm. was only really one character and the other mm. two were sort of like, I don't know, just there I guess. One they were sort of just used as a bit of a plot device. I did think that the acting was okay. It got was... better, come on. It got better. By the time <laughs> you saw Eve Black, it got a lot better. Eve White was a bore, but Eve Black, ooh. Oh, but, but just because the character's boring, I think she did a good job of transitioning between the personalities. Yeah, I was gonna say that. I thought the transitions between the personalities yeah. done really well. Excuse me, the transitions, all she did was look down, close her eyes, and then look back up and start. But, but, but I do like, think that her accent and voice changed slightly, her physicality changed yeah. and the way that she moved and walked. I think that the actress did a lot with what she was given to work with. Didn't she win the Oscar? Yeah, she, she won, won the Oscar, Oscar yeah, which I read a, read a review the other day that was saying like, this Oscar was given more for the idea of acting than the actual performance. And I don't know, I sort of see where they're coming from. I don't think it, in my opinion, it wasn't an amazing performance though recognizing that she was playing three different characters essentially in the one is that what was applauded and then i don't know the review went on to say like isn't that what actors do all the time whether they're playing three roles across films or three roles in a film they're still playing three roles so why are we awarding this one the best actress well i guess that that links back to my statement that i made messily before about the fact that the shine of that doing it in one film or production hasn't lost its appeal from an actor wanting to flex their acting muscles because mm. i still feel like again in things like united states of tara or split it is used as a bit of a look how many things i can do as an actor aren't don't i have range and as you mentioned they usually do that across well, different projects but then it seems there comes a point where they go uh, hold my drink. This know? is a bit awkward because I was recently in a short film where I play three different characters but in I that film. I promise you none of this was a slight against that. <laughs> you know how I said at the I beginning the narrator kind of makes it look like a carnival show, come look at my you know, little freak who has all these multiple yeah, no, personality about disorders. I, I am surprised that they didn't lean more into that for the time because I feel like Split in a way. Oh, that's yeah, a more recent movie, yeah. but I feel like that's kind of taking more advantage of someone with these mental health that issues. That was sort of how I felt. I felt like overall the film, I was really confused about the intention of the film. Yeah, what was the intention? And sort of at the beginning when the guy comes up and he's sort of like, oh, this is a true story. Like this isn't fiction. This is coming from the journal. And well, Speaking about stigmatization, the line that I thought stigmatized it was he said, this woman had one more personality than Dr. Jekyll. I was like, yeah. oh, okay, is this the... Okay. Like, so, yeah, dark, that, isn't it? that was the word I was looking for, embellish. I'm surprised for a 1950s film they didn't embellish. They did dramatize it, no. They, I mean, they did, but I feel like they could have gone a lot more further well, with they it, could've. which they yeah. did. I think they so, simplified the narrative. But I appreciate that because I was very shocked because even this, um, what was his name? Dr. Um, Curtis Luther. Even he, there was no, he wasn't showing any prejudice. He was, he was kind. Actually, that's true. He, he, yeah. he, he yeah. wasn't treating her like a freak or a circus animal, like the fucking husband Though, was. at the same time, I think his character was pretty one note as well. Oh, they were all Though, one note. like, I'm not sure what it was like watching this as somebody who probably doesn't know much about dissociative identity disorder, but you would assume, well, I was assuming that if this lady is experiencing uh, multiple personalities, those personalities must have split for a reason, and usually it's due to some, some huge sort of trauma. trauma. And you find out the trauma in the end. Because for some reason, that personality felt like it needed some other personality to care for it or help it survive or protect it or something like that so i was sort of expecting some history that was going to be pretty traumatic, traumatic. i thought it was pretty traumatic i thought that happens. the way that they handled that yes it was traumatic though i think the like the level well, no, I mean, I, okay, let's again, again, I don't want to say her trauma wasn't no, traumatic. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, but no, but well, wasn't it enough for three personalities? Uh, no, I thought it was going that way because it's like she started saying in the thing, no, I don't want to kiss. And I'm like, oh my God, because in the MK Ultra thing, they always talk about, you know, like usually sexual assault as being a thing. So I thought, really, is this film going to tackle something 
that um, I guess I thought it was interesting trauma. that it was a, um, a single event trauma as opposed to like a long history of traumas. Did you read up uh, the reason for Eve's personality split depicted in the film, um, they said is fictional, which was her mother was insisting that she kiss her dead grandmother yep. goodbye. Which... But slightly related to what happened to the real lady. Mm. What happened? Well, so according to a People magazine article in 1989, a two-year-old Eve had witnessed three unnerving scenarios within three months. A drowned man being pulled from a ditch, oh. a sawmill worker sliced into three pieces, Jesus and her own Christ. mother cutting herself severely on a piece of broken glass. Too young to deal directly with what she had seen, she developed the first in a line of alternative personalities, including the three now that reveal themselves one by one to the amazement of the psychiatrist within the film. Is that yeah. what you read as well? Yeah, and I think I read that she attended, I think, a funeral for an infant or something like oh, that I as see, well. That, that might have been later on. Um, but hearing that history, I mean, of course, like it totally makes sense that as a two-year-old, totally not being able to understand any of those situations and probably being incredibly frightened and not knowing how to respond or react, I guess the safest thing to do is for another personality to come in to sort of protect me, shelter me, and make sure I'm okay. So with that, what would we give the movie out of five star? Actually, I want to ask some other questions first. I think we need to get to the next film because we've already no, but been I, no, but I, but for I, half I, an hour. It's fine, we can cut it down. So, oh my goodness. <laughs> what do you want to ask? What did you like about the film? What did you think it got right? Um, I like, oh, what did I like? I liked Eve Black. She was my favorite part of the film. I thought that she was interesting. That dance was I cool thought she had she something did. to say. I like, I don't know, the set. <laughs> the set looked nice. Beautiful. I appreciate that, you know, psychiatry and psychology are two different things. So I don't really know what it's like to be like a, psych a psychiatrist because I work as a psychologist. Though in saying that, I do think that he overstepped a lot of boundaries. He asked some really odd questions. Well, that was going to be my next question. What do you think, what didn't you like about the film or what do you think has dated or changed since the film is made? The yeah, that's the other thing. Like, you know, back in the day, maybe that was how things were done. So I can't really comment on whether that was the norm, even though if it was, that's a bit worrying. Um, <laughs> Explains a lot about our parents' parents. Yeah. <laughs> Even like the way that they were sitting next to each other, like, I don't know, just the whole way that the room was set up and their seating arrangements and things like that, which are things that psychologists has to have to think about. You know, where am I gonna sit in position to my client and how is that gonna create a relationship and a space that will be considered safe and therapeutic? And I felt like that wasn't really given in the, in the film, but then again, maybe there was restrictions because of how they had to shoot it, I don't know. And last question, did you enjoy the film? I am glad that I watched the film. I wouldn't say that I, loved the film. It definitely wouldn't be a favorite, I don't think. You wouldn't go it, anywhere to Justin, I'm, no. gonna, I'm not gonna lie, I think it was a bit of a disappointing pick. I think I we could have done- oh, I, I think you. we could have done- <laughs> I think we should have done The Snake Pit with Olivia de Havilland. I haven't that seen looks, The Snake that Pit. That looks interesting. Well, yeah. Quaid, when you get a master's in psychology, you can pick the psychology film. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I know that David. in The Snake Pit, she, they explore schizophrenia in the film, though I'm not sure if there's a psychotherapy element to ah, it. Ah, touche. Yeah, so that's why I feel like Fate, Three Faces of Eve was chosen for this topic. And I have a question that I came up with and is not Quaid's question. What would you <laughs> give it out of five stars? Oh, wow. <laughs> well, I was thinking about this. that the whole time. I would probably give it 2.5, I think. Whoa, that's bad. That's really bad. Yeah, but I would give it, no, I would give it three. <laughs> I'd give it three stars out of five. What would you? David? Yeah, I would give it three, and that's because yeah. I really enjoyed it from a cinematic point of view. I thought that for a noir, it was very daytime TV-ish in the simplicity of it. I think yeah. there are far more beautiful film noir films, but I do think it was still shot incredibly beautifully. Can we talk about the problematic quote and also please, the best quote please. in the film? Yes. Okay, so we all know what the problematic quote was. Problematic which, wait, quote? let me get it up so I don't get it wrong, but it was from the soldier in the bar when she meets the Oh, that, she that seems gross. That was so cringy that to was watch. Oh. I spent eight when I spent yeah, eight when I spent eight bucks on a dame, I don't just go home with the morning paper. You know what I mean? Oh, like just hearing him say that, you're like, do we all feel that like sense of worry? I, I felt it deeply problematic. But the thing I think the reason I didn't dislike it being in the film, or at least disapprove of it being in the film, is I thought as disgusting as that is, it's incredibly accurate as a representation of attitudes of the time. Like, well, I mean, even still attitudes of today, now. exactly. Yeah. So I thought 
just because it's disgusting doesn't mean it shouldn't be represented because we should be disgusted by it and confronted by it because yeah. it's real. Yeah, it was a bit problem well, majorly problematic, I think. Definitely. Though in saying that that same personality, Eve Black, the quote I really liked was when she was speaking to, I think it was with her husband, where she asked for like a drink or something and he's like, oh, I've never seen you have a drink before. And she said something like, honey, there are a lot of things you've never seen me do before. That's no sign I don't, I haven't done them or something. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, yeah, you go girl. <laughs> I was like, you go Eve. Definitely. Awesome. So I think with that, we're gonna now move on to our next film. So David and I picked this film together for the theme. To be honest, I, I mainly picked it because David has never actually seen this film before, which I thought well, was quite- Well, I have quite, now or else I can't well, talk about it. Yeah, but it's I, I, quite I'm, I'm shocked, I'm shocked that you had never seen it before. Uh -huh. um, so the film is One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. <laughs> It came out in 1975 and it was directed by Milos Forman. Uh, a bit of the plot. In order to escape prison labor, Randall Patrick McMurphy, a criminal, played by Jack Nicholson, fakes insanity and is shifted to a mental institution to be evaluated. In the ward, he creates strong bonds with the other patients and attempts to revolt against the cruel nurse Ratched. How was that for a quick plot summary? I think you nailed it. And I think the interesting thing as well is I actually watched this film before I read a synopsis of it. And I found the synopsis boiled the plot down in a far more polarized way than I actually experienced the film watching it. So I'm glad I went into it and I'm a little bit embarrassed to admit that I didn't really know the story before I entered it, even though now that I have, I'm aware that people like Ryan Murphy have completely stripped it of so many of its icons, which is great. Like it's, you know, touching Let's references. Let's talk about things. Ryan Murphy. But I mean, well, I mean, yeah, we can or we can't, well, but... Also, sorry to interrupt you, notably, this was Danny DeVito's and Christopher Lloyd's first movie roles, and they play Martini and Max Tabor, respectively. And what's not to say about Jack Nicholson? Not the most handsome guy on the block, but he does have the most infectious smile. He doesn't hold back on physical expression, yet it comes across very authentic. I actually think that we're moving further away from respecting acting as an art form as we get more into this space where actors mm. need to look like these picture-perfect, beautiful things and the performance comes second to it. Whether or not Jack Nicholson is a handsome man, which you cannot deny he has sex appeal, but that's beside oh, the does. point. he does, he does. I Jack. feel like, especially in this movie, the story and the acting and the performances were more important than having a fuckable lead star. So mentioning his attractiveness, Quaid, I think is incredibly shallow and I'm <laughs> Well, I think it's incredibly shallow that you'd never seen this film before because it is amazing. Justin, uh, how many people have you given lobotomies to? How accurate do you think this film is? Well, yeah, I was, well, yeah, you know, with the lobotomy thing, I honestly do not think you can terrifying. legally be lobotomized for trying to choke a nurse to death. I mean, I know that's pretty awful, but you cannot. Like, Justin, do you have the stats on whether lobotomies are still practiced, especially in the States, or when it stopped being common practice? Because I think the 60s was when it stopped being something that was used as a treatment. But they I, I guess- They still do yeah. lobotomies, okay. frontotemporal lobotomy. Um, I think they might have changed the name, so- <laughs> But why? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that was last time I checked, but that was we a couple of years ago. We need to destigmatize the lobotomy. <laughs> and ECT as well, electric convulsive therapy. That still happens all the time. One of the hospitals I work at does it. Uh, apparently really effective lots of patients sort of requested because it's got such high success rates Yeah, yeah, they're fine You know, they see other patients receive that treatment and then have really great but against recovery. their recovery No, no, that was really problematic. Yeah, and it was the 70s I was a little bit like, confused throughout the film about, about I'll explain to you the setting I wasn't sure like is this a forensic hospital or these people but then she said that some of them were Voluntary yeah. so you would assume that no, it's just a psychiatric hospital though if it's a psychiatric hospital I was a little bit confused as to why there was like locked doors everywhere and things like that I that, that, was, a mental health that was something that I wanted to ask you Justin what was the role of the actual institution because the way it was being treated seemed like especially because he's a prisoner and non-voluntary like well yeah. exactly and going into this film I've heard it being discussed so much as something that's quite groundbreaking when exploring themes of mental health and I guess diagnosis of mental illness. So I thought that it was gonna really unpack certain conditions and the experiences of the people going through it, but I actually found it quite surface level on touching. Yeah. What? 
what, I would what agree. the people were experiencing. You what are your, are as wrong. an expert, uh, not, I'm that asking Justin, I'm asking Justin. Justin, what do you think? Yeah, no, I agree. I feel like <sighs> they didn't really show you what the day-to-day -day was like for them. Like there was a few scenes, oh, you know, this is the room where we hang out and this is the room where the baths are, but I'm not sure if this is where we bathe or like what happens there. And this is where we sleep, but it looks like a dormitory, but it looks like a prison and there's a big gate and you can't leave, but I'm voluntary. But so I can leave whenever I want. It felt a little like Orange is the New Black kind of glamorized. It's one giant sleepover instead of, I guess, yeah. the, the grueling reality of what these places are actually for and how they're broken down. And then again, like I'm conscious that this was happening like set a long time ago. That's true. That's so fair. I'm not really sure how that's changed. And pro I mean, it definitely has changed because the hospitals that I've worked in don't look anything like that at all. <laughs> Everyone has their own room and <laughs> their own bathroom. And so like glamorous. But I'm, I'm sorry, but the movie wasn't about the day, a day in the life of like these patients. The movie is though? about, no, it's about McMurphy and it's about what he represents because McMurphy, he represents the bridge between the outside world and the mental institution because he treated all the patients like he would anyone else without prejudice against well, this backdrop of stigma and and then on the other yeah but on the other hand McMurphy he's also like rebellious and he's this agent of chaos that is constantly challenging the order and conformity that nurse Ratched is trying to uphold which is very entertaining and brings me like to my next point just because McMurphy has behavior issues it doesn't mean he's mentally unwell and the film does a great job of showcasing the true nature of how we treat and measure mental illness I, that was that's what the film the film is about. That. Yeah. That's what it's about. It's not about a day in the life of these other people. It's about his journey. Like those other characters are important, yes. So you but see him separate from them. He was I don't see no, I don't see you us and them in them. Well I was I was about to say, I'm like, Quaid, if your point is he's treating them just like the normals, it's like I didn't use the, the word normal. Is, I, I, I specifically did not use the word normal because I don't like using that word. But what I mean is you're you're saying that he is a bridge. You literally use the term but, bridge between but that's his character. But, but his character, I think, is more complicated than a representation of a bridge between people that need, like, psychological help and then people who are functioning in day-to-day -day society. Because he is a character who is a criminal. He's a criminal. Who, who behaves incredibly recklessly and selfishly that results in the death of someone. But, and uh, the reason that he's in a psychological in, um, ward is to nurse avoid... Nurse should cause that death, not him. Well, that's something else I want to ask Justin about. Because I felt like the demonization of her character as someone unreasonable who's trying to stigmatize these people in a facility that's trying to cater to people that have different needs and requirements and need to in a I, I'm assuming uh, reduced capacity because there are a lot of people with a lot of varying conditions that yeah. need attention have to act within a schedule that suit all of them and treatment regime that serves everyone rather than having a broader more individualistic approach that would have allowed them to say you can watch the sports game in the afternoon because we don't need to worry about another 20 people what, what are your thoughts on the way that the therapy sessions are handled in this environment. I mean, the they, therapy sessions are wrong. Ha, have you? Like, but I mean, have you done group therapy sessions before? And how are yep. they usually done? Yep. Yep. I've done group therapy sessions in an inpatient hospital, um, and they look incredibly different. I guess throughout the whole film, the thing that I kept feeling was just a whole lot of confusion. I was just not sure about a whole lot of things. I wasn't sure about the nurse. I wasn't sure about the main character, McMurphy. So let's start with him, I guess. So he sort of comes along and I'm like, okay, should he be here? Shouldn't he be here? I don't know. Let's find out. And then, yes, the way he's interacting with his peers, I thought initially it was quite nice. He was going along with them nice. He was involving them. He's trying to activate them. You know, let's play basketball. Let's watch the baseball. Let's go out to the pub and we can, you know, do this. And something else, he wanted to go out on some... Wait, so, wait, so he was a bridge. They went Before fishing. they went fishing, he sort of suggests, oh, let's all go and do this. Yeah. And then I think it was Danny DeVito's character said to the nurse, like, he's oh, so he wants cute. to... <laughs> you know, McMurphy said, let's all go here. I'd like to go there. I think that would be nice therapy and she was like no <laughs> which I thought you know that's very nice he's sort of trying to get them activated which yeah. yeah all of those things could be considered therapeutic though then he took them fishing and then I was like oh that's nice he's taking them fishing and he's getting them out and about and seeing the day and um, he can see that that would be therapeutic that would help get them involved in the community and things like that and socializing and practicing all that and then on the boat he said something like oh nothing's gonna happen to us because we're crazy and yeah. then I'm like oh he's just using them yeah 
He's just using them to meet his own needs. And then when that didn't work, then with the TV, you know, he was like, oh, I can't get what I want. They're not letting me watch the TV. So again, I'm just going to use them again to get what I want. Yeah. So I'm going to start a ruckus. And then when that didn't work again, he escalated again and threw the party. And then that ultimately led. Yes, well, but the, his the character he... uses everyone though, not just the patients. He, that's his character. But, but that's, that's what I mean by there's no prejudice. I mean, yeah, that's what I meant. There's no in prejudice total. in an incredibly selfish person who behaves irresponsibly and recklessly. He uses his own girlfriend yes. as a prostitute. There is a gentleman. Sex worker, you can't say prostitute. Also, so I'm so sorry, I, sex I, worker. There is a gen <laughs> it was the 60s. You could say it back then. Um, it was, there's a gentleman who, in there who he seems to be building a bond with who you think is a chief. Uh, is that yeah, who you're exactly. talking about? Exactly. Who says to him, I, can't, chief is, I so. can't have alcohol because it reduces me. And then what does he do? He hands him a bottle of vodka. This is someone who has said, I have found my strength and power in sobriety. And he hands him alcohol. It, it's someone who is behaving based solely on their own needs, wants, and desires. There's no interest in actually helping these people or giving them anything other than. His yeah, but it's like that with everyone, though. Okay, not, cool. ju not just them. So, so that's saying, my point. You're saying well, I, I don't think, like, to say that he was very sympathetic because, you know, he sort of treated everyone as equals. I don't know, I wouldn't agree with that because using everybody. It's still is, shitty behavior. Is, uh, it, okay, okay, I do want to interject here because I, I, don't, I don't like his character. Can I just say that from the start? You do, obviously, I don't like him because. Off the bat... Can we I, talk about the nurse? Yeah, yes. are we, are we are going to talk about the nurse, but I just want to quickly talk about him because I don't want people thinking that I like his character because I do find his character very, very problematic. I think Pro you're saying Look, you love the, his wait, character. No, so off the bat... Why do you like his character? Okay, quite I, don't, I, don't like, I don't like McMurphy's character because... <laughs> Because firstly, he's in this institution for a very disturbing reason, which is statutory rape. And the joke he makes at the that beginning the of the film, yeah, he oh says at the beginning of the film, as a joke, she was 15 going on 35, if you know what I mean. Yeah, which the, the is very half of the pedophile. Yeah, which is very bad taste. And so, no, I'm not saying that I also, like his like, character. What well, did he mean? <laughs> yeah, well, I, yeah, exactly. <laughs> anyway, I just, I don't like his character. I don't think he's a great person. However, what I'm saying is the way he was interacting with the people in the mental institution. It was like he was injecting some blood and life that needed to be put into that place because the but, people but within what? there needed to experience something different than the same regiment routine that they were going through day to day. They needed that spark in their life. But what did that serve? How did that help their treatment? Especially if they it didn't help their to, treatment. Especially if the majority them, of them it had made them feel again. Especially if most of them had elected to be in there to receive a level of treatment. What what does injecting chaos into that? Yeah. Due to and he didn't really provide them with autonomy because he essentially kidnapped them. He still told them what to do. Even that young man that he made lose his virginity. That I think he lost his virginity before. Billy had kind of a rape scene. Like, because they tied him up, stuck him to a chair and chucked him in a room with someone and said, this is happening whether you like it or not. So he's not really giving a huge amount of agency to these people. But I don't, but see, this is my thing. I'm agreeing with, your, with what you're saying, but I'm saying also... You're saying also, you love his character. No, but what I'm saying is also <laughs> he's like that in the outside world. He is doing the exact same thing. Okay, but you keep on trying to shine a light on it saying- Why is that a good thing? Yeah, why is it's that, not a yes. good thing. I'm just saying in general, he's not like, okay, so what, okay, this is so probably agree. a simpler way of me saying this. It's not like he went in the institution and then because they all had some serious mental health issues, he was like, oh, well, fuck you all. I'm better than you. I'm not going to talk to you. I'm not going to try relate to you. I'm not going to try form any sort of bonds or relationships with you. But he does the opposite. He, he talks to them like everyone else, which is what you should be doing. And that's why I'm saying that's the redeeming feature of his character. So the redeeming well, feature is because his personality type is to figure out how he can exploit everyone around him. Yeah, I don't know if that's really a redeeming oh, feature. No, you are twisting it. In terms of like making no, a relationship. Yeah, he didn't make a relationship with them for, for like them. relationship sake, not for connection, not for like. I disagree. I disagree. I think for his I own think, gain, I thought. No, I think, no, I don't agree with I that. I think it comes across in a very manipulative way of, you know, oh, we're friends now, you want to do this. Though. You're going to help me break out of here, aren't you? Yeah, and You're this is what, what we both want. want. Yeah. You don't want to be here, Evan. I think to be I here. think I do get what you guys are saying, but also I think it's a very black and white reading you're having of this. And when character. he taught that person, I don't like, think yours is grey though. Yours, uh, is... mine's definitely grey because so, so, I'm so, saying so he's how got is, very bad qualities. So how is but Nurse Ratchet some good? How is Nurse Ratchet the villain and he the hero? Oh, I know. I, I mean, can I just say what I wanted to say about her? Okay, so well, I wouldn't say okay he was well, necessarily okay. a villain. I, I mean, I agree. I think he was a bit, definitely very grey character, but definitely very grey, not very. Uh, 
Okay, well, you guys are redeeming. Probably, you no. guys are going to vilify me for what I'm about to say, but I actually don't think Nurse Ratched was pure evil. I know. I she's, agree. I know. Okay, I think so I let me. By saying okay, that. but let me finish. I know she is known as one of the biggest film villains of all time. Really? But I yes, well, she that, is. That's what I said she about is. reading the things that synopsis afterwards. Oh, I thought that's yeah, not I how I read but the movie. I honestly thought she was just trying to do her job and was trying to keep healthy boundaries between her and the patients. And maybe it's because I've had exposure to the mental health industry the last two years and I also know people who work at mental institutions. I don't know. But I think the worst thing she did was how she went about running her group therapy sessions. They were dehumanizing and insensitive. There was honestly no need to air out the patient's individual dirty laundry for everyone else to hear. And I guess also we'll never forgive her for what she does to be Billy by the end of the film but other than outside of the group therapy sessions I actually didn't think she was that bad and I don't know if that makes me cold or an evil person because I'll read reviews on Letterboxd and everything and people will be like Nurse Ratched she's so evil she's such a cold hearted bitch and I, I'm like I don't know if I agree with that I think you read too many reviews I mean I liked the way that <laughs> she spoke about even the bit where he was in the office and she was saying we can talk about the issue you have with the records once you're outside the office and when they're on a point in therapy she says this is what we're discussing right now we can talk about that once we finish talking about this I thought they were very reasonable ways to be talking to a group of people that had varying needs and emotional states at that time to try and keep it on the level she was a relatively objective force through the film the only time I did think that she was someone who was acting selfishly and irresponsibly was towards Billy at the end where yeah. she emotionally blackmailed him that was the rest sad. of the film I did think she was someone who had a lot on her plate I guess and was trying to do her job trying to do her job especially in I mean I don't know what the ther you know you talked about the group therapy sessions yeah I don't agree with those sessions they were they were awful you don't if you don't want to talk about something personal you don't keep on prodding someone and dragging them through the dirt and making them talk about these really personal traumatizing things in front of everyone like it's not it's not right I, I agree with that um, do you know anything about the therapy uh, philosophies at the time if, if these were if these were periods where they were using things like electroshock and lobotomy in a way that isn't necessarily as finessed as we are doing it right now what was the thought on group therapy is this something they might have been trying is this something that was at some point I don't really know, yeah, like, I was really confused as to, like, why she would bring up such specific things that other people didn't need to know in exactly. the group and also yeah. wouldn't have been therapeutic or helpful for anyone else to know other than, I guess, to comment on and support the person. But then again, if that person is not willing to talk about it, then it wouldn't be helpful or therapeutic for other people to comment on it. So I did appreciate, as Quade said, the way she sort of tried to facilitate um, discussion. And you said it as well, David, sort of trying to keep it within, you know, this is a group. We want group cohesion, things like that. Everybody gets their chance to talk. This is what we're talking about right now. But the content of what she was saying, I was like, why are you doing this? I don't understand. It, it reminded me a lot of, um, I can't remember the name of the cult, but it's um, one of the ones in America where they would literally sit in a circle and their idea of therapy would be to isolate an individual and just berate them with insults. Oh, Anexium. Anexium. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. yeah. Sorry, Anexium. Yeah. Yeah. There's some very good documentaries on Anexium, but we're not going to start talking yeah. about cults because that's a whole other ball game. <laughs> and I agree, she was following the rules a lot of the time and that made a lot of sense to me. Like, yes, she was, I don't know, maybe unemotional, but then again, she was at work. Do you also, do you think that to work in an environment that would usually evoke a lot of sympathy, empathy, and um, potentially in a lot of cases, hopelessness with people that you could see the treatment might not be working, you would need to have a slightly detached and regimented attitude towards your day-to-day? -day? Or do you think that I that think sort of calloused behavior is dangerous? I don't think it'd be helpful. No, I think if there's you know, people in need, you would probably want to be a bit warmer so that they're more yeah. willing to engage and more willing to approach and ask for help if needed and things like that. And also, at the end, when when she mentioned you know having a friendship with Billy's mum, I was like, "Ooh, big red flag! Yeah. You should not be working with him at all." Yeah, um, you should be far, far away. Huge conflict of interest, and then sort of working him up into an emotional state, and then leaving him without checking on him yeah. or asking any like questions. Does he feel safe? Is he okay? Things like that. I thought that was definitely wrong. But then again, it's a movie, so obviously not everything's gonna be. No, but this is a movie that we're being critical of based on your expertise, so you can really <laughs> go for the throat on that one. Yeah, well, I, I thought that was terribly done Much by her. Yeah, also, like, um, 
nurse assistants, was that the, what they were? And the, I think so, sort of yeah. the white shirts with the bow ties. Yeah. <laughs> oh, they were adorable. I mean, the Chippendales models jogging out with the little bow ties. I, I love the fashion. Little ice cream men. <laughs> the whole time I kept thinking, you're working in like a psychiatric hospital or any hospital, you should always be conscious of like your uniform, your outfit, what are you wearing and is it a choking hazard? And uh, wearing a bow tie would make it very easy for somebody to choke you. So I didn't understand why that was the uniform. Maybe it was of the time, but then again, if it was, that's a mistake. Fashion first, baby. <laughs> so many of the extras were actually authentic uh, patients of an institution at the time. So a lot of the background extras were people who were receiving treatment in an institution. And it was actually filmed in an institution because of filming one of the top windows was left open and a patient did fall out and injure themselves leading the paper uh, the local paper to publish a headline one flew out of the cuckoo's nest oh. I think they probably thought was responsible journalism at the time so there's a little bit of interesting trivia and it was you. also filmed at I think it's the Oregon is it state hospital mental health hospital? so does it still exist uh, it does, but that apparently that part of the building has been knocked down. But even more interestingly enough, the author, the original author of One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, he actually based that book at that exact same hospital that it was filmed at. Can I ask? Hmm. What is the one that flew over the cuckoo's nest? It's a poem, and it's in the original book. Have you? Has anyone read the original? No. Book? Let's look it up. But like, what I'll does it mean book. to fly over the cuckoo's nest? So I guess the cuckoo's nest, like cuckoo is derogatory for someone who's like not mentally well. So one flew over it and the cuckoo's nest. Like so. it. Big Chief was one of the characters. He was a Native American and he sort of, I guess, sparked a relationship, a friendship with um, yeah, but he's, Mac Murphy. But he also, he's pretending to be Right, so he was, yeah, he was, um, I guess, feigning to be, yeah, deaf. Oh, no, not blind, sorry, mute. Mute. Yes. Yeah. Yes, mute. and then by the end of it, you Which find Which back then out. was called dumb. A yeah. person who does not speak. I feel like it acted as an analog for showing intimacy building between the main character and some of the patients because there is a scene where because of the, I guess, consideration he's shown and that you were talking about before Quaid, him trying to involve him in the basketball game, he actually felt like he could open up to him and express yeah. that he could talk and he could hear. That was just his way of coping. Exactly. And Chief was played by Will Sampson. Also, I want to talk a bit about the other characters because what I do love Amazing is that, cast, by the way. Yeah, like, no, and that's exactly what I want to say. They all so got acted what I, well, what I loved is that um, even though there were so many different characters, they all had such distinct features and personalities and it gave them all a chance to shine. And I had such a soft spot for Cheswick. Did you guys have a soft spot for Cheswick? The one with the moustache? No, Cheswick was the one with the glasses that uh, had yeah. childlike behaviour and would like scream and get really upset. Yeah, no, he was sweet. Yeah, so the character's name, yeah, Charlie Cheswick, and that's played by Cindy Lassick. Um, Danny DeVito, who I mentioned earlier, Incredible. cutie, Incredible. plays Martini. He's so and cute. He's bro. so cute. He doesn't really talk much either. He's just. Um, but, in, but incredible physicality. Incredible. He's very yeah. childlike also, a bit like and Cheswick. I, is it Tabor? Was that his name? Yeah, so Max Tabor played by Christopher Lloyd. I didn't quite get what his issue was. Well, was he just Clinically, angry? I was very confused about yeah. a lot of them. I was like, yeah. what, what condition? I, mean, I don't want to be, you know, reading straight out of a textbook, but yeah. sort of what, what they is your presentation? Yeah, exactly, what is your I didn't understand his presentation. Other than like, you know, Billy having anxiety. Well, also uh, uh, William Redfield's character being, I think my wife is cheating on me and the allusions to the fact that he might be a homosexual. It's like, apart from yeah, that, yeah. what else is the he character, That character's right. name is Dale Harding. So Dale Harding, the character played by Dale Harding, William Redfield. Uh, no, da Dale Harding Dale is the character. Yeah, William yeah. Redfield plays exactly him. played yeah. by William Redfield. Uh, during it, um, one of the experts on set actually diagnosed William Redfield with leukemia, and he died shortly after filming the role. Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah. That, that's really. I sad. totally also didn't get that his character was meant to be homosexual. <laughs> Me either, until I read it up afterwards. It was only very lightly. I didn't get the gay vibe at all. Touched on. Well, I wonder how much of that. They did had keep to... poking and poking about why he's angry at his wife or something. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Which so Billy, though, I, sort of sorry, just interrupted. Billy, you said something about anxiety, but I would even go further. He, the the anxiety came in the form of having a stutter. Yes. Like, stutters more well, than that was, uh, yeah, one way that it came out, manifested, yeah. And we saw that being resolved when he had confidence at the end, was standing up for himself, and then it reduced back into stuttering when he I was... I did notice that, yeah, when he was talking to the nurse, and I was like, oh, his stutter's gone, because now he sort of... Has confidence in what he's saying, and then when that's yeah. reduced, he suddenly reverts yeah. back to it. One of the crew um, who was actually being treated for 
anxiety and had a stutter, uh, working on the movie gave him the confidence to work on it and he resolved his stutter permanently. Oh, oh wow. that's yeah. so sweet. And I don't know if you guys noticed, but the pacing of the film was, I found it was very delightful because it starts rather slow, but then in the mid middle, it reaches this crescendo and you're on the edge crescendo? of your seat. Huh? Crescendo? Crescendo. It reaches this crescendo and you're on the edge of your seat until it finishes. I don't know if you guys got that, but I definitely did. I enjoyed the pacing of the film. I was a little bit worried when we jumped in just because I actually think that Jack Nicholson is one of the finest actors of our time. But yes. when he shows up being like, hey, I'm Jack Nicholson, I was just like, Jesus Christ, here we go. And <laughs> I don't agree to sort with of that. ease into his character because he was Jack Nicholson being Jack Nicholson. And that said, again, he's amazing. Love him. He's incredible. He's amazing. Also, if, did you, we, have, if you haven't seen Chinatown, if you haven't seen The Shining, Stop what you're doing and go watch it now. What, and this, what are you and this film. Go and yeah, watch what it. are you even doing? Also, did anyone notice the cameo of Jack Nicholson's then wife Angelica Houston as one of the, what? One of the spectators at the port when the boat is being brought back in? She's, no, she's wearing a purple jumper. She was not there. She was. Was she? She yeah. was. I googled it. <gasps> Spotter. That is so cool. So I think what we should go into is Justin. What did you like about the film? Uh, I thought the acting was amazing from mostly everybody. I thought the characters were all interesting people, firstly, yeah. What didn't you like about the film? Well, what do you feel like is aged? Well, I thought so. Apart from the cast, am I right? <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> well, obviously the therapy was a little bit problematic. I mean, can you really call it therapy? It was just sitting down having a discussion about people's difficulties in life without much therapeutic value added there. The way that they handed out medication was very sort of techie meds and go. Do you think that's representative of something that actually happened? We see that in films like Girl Interrupted and things like that, where there's the window yeah. and the medication thing. Is that something that would have been a I mean, the window and the medication coming up to the med window to take medication definitely happens. I guess these days there's a lot more agency, a lot more autonomy, a lot more like I'm choosing to do this gotcha. because it's for my benefit. Uh, it's part of my treatment plan and if I choose to decline then I'm choosing to decline and then that's documented and that's okay that's a choice I've made and then yeah. they don't threaten to stick it up your ass like they're doing this no no <laughs> I mean you know they might encourage you on the benefits of taking it though at the end of the day it's your decision back to you know what I did not like about the film I don't know I just feel like I didn't really get into it that's really sad because it's one of the best <laughs> films of all time he knows this because you read it on letterbox oh shut <laughs> up it's not I watched this movie for the first time like five, six years ago, and I remember it having such a big impact I on me, like, and I adored it. I think it's like some of the criticism from Three Faces of Eve is that it felt really Oscar bait, whereas I felt this one was a bit Oscar bait. I felt no. like I feel like well, no, as I was watching the film, I was like, I'm getting the vibe that I should be really invested in this and should feel some huge like wave of emotion and be really heartfelt, but I just don't. I did find that the hype of this film was something that made it Maybe difficult that's for why. me to approach it because it's something that I've heard so much about as being this absolutely ground-baking masterpiece so maybe I would have appreciated it more if I wasn't going in waiting to have my world shook and again watching sort of the male version of Girl Interrupted which then again I think Girl Interrupted actually touches on the issues of some of the I liked Girl Interrupted more. I mean I haven't exactly. seen it for like seven years but um, can I ask you a question? I mean, this might be something that's a little bit more historical than current, so I'm not sure how across it your training would have necessarily been. But I found it interesting that a movie that was sort of set in the 50s, I found that the treatment in that, even though it was one-on-one, -on -one, was more compassionate to the patient where the doctor several times expressed that she wasn't actually crazy and this was something that she needed treatment, much like a broken arm. Whereas in this movie, they explore therapies for outbursts using things like invasive electroshock therapy and, you know, involuntary. Mm lobotomy is that something that was actually a trend where there was a bit of a dip in the ethics used in psychology where it became more of a magic pill treatment where the autonomy and respect for the person was taken out of it or are we just looking at different class structures and different situations and sort of projecting onto it yeah i don't know <laughs> <laughs> well we can cut that but i would like to discuss how the discussion of what is crazy came up in the first film and the second film okay yeah, yeah treated a little bit differently I think in each you know in the first film she's like am I crazy am I crazy and the husband's like is she crazy or is she just doing this because and the psychiatrist was very much like no she's not crazy she's not crazy and I guess he sort of provided a definition which they didn't really do in the second film as to what he was defining by crazy which he was defining it as you know she doesn't hear any voices okay. which I guess qualifies that she wasn't hearing any voices she was only hearing her own personality 
or even then she'd like struggle to hear it anyway. Whereas in the second film, they sort of touched on, you know, what is crazy, what is not crazy, but they don't really provide, I don't know, unless I missed it, they didn't really give a definite, like what They, what they was. almost felt like with uh, McMurphy, that crazy was something like conveniently used as an exploration around behavior to talk whether or not he should go to jail or not, rather than actually a diagnosis. But to your point where they mentioned is this crazy, you know, talking about voices and things like that. Danny DeVito, because he found it difficult to be away from his, what ended up being his wife, his coping mechanism during the filming of this movie was to create an imaginary friend that he spoke to at night time. And it got to a mm. point where he was actually worried about his mental decline. So he spoke to a professional that said he's not going quote unquote crazy because he understands that it's an external personality that he has made up rather than someone who is genuinely authentically talking to him. But I guess it was just, it, that just reminded me of that, how you yeah. were saying, but in that, that was sort of mentioned in the first trivia. film. So yeah. I want to press you though. Did you, what did you like? Did you like the film? I, I liked it. Yeah. Yeah. You seem personally hurt that I, I, I'm, I'm not, I don't what, have my socks blown what, what, what didn't you like about it? Um, I think the, what Justin mentioned about the fact that I think this film was very much pitched to me as an exploration of the state of mental health care at the time or an insight into someone who is experiencing a mental health crisis and, gotcha. and how they are handled and treated. And I found that the film was broader than that and sort of explored this sort of dormitory room experience of a group of men who are sort of a ragtag island of lost toys bunch of people that don't really have any specific diagnosis is being put on them and they just go on an adventure in situations that actually gave me a little bit of anxiety because I thought that, <laughs> oh no, I genuinely thought the plot was going to exacerbate to a point that you might start to see crises that would come up in this situation. Like if I, yeah, if I went I to a hospital too. and got a bunch of people that I didn't know that well and didn't know how they behaved under extreme stresses and put them on a boat and took them out to sea, I would assume that something would probably go wrong, especially if they started to panic or worry or things that I was not aware of when they're not under pressure suddenly came out through their personalities because you don't know why those people are there yeah i don't know if this was like a deliberate choice but when all that chaos was happening on the boat like i felt very anxious in that moment because i was like something bad is going to happen one of them's going to fall yeah. one of them's going to hurt themselves and then i noticed that the music was very like upbeat and light and i thought okay well maybe nothing bad is going to happen. And I was like, is that a deliberate choice to have that music play so that you don't Get dip anxious. into it's that? to be comedic. Yeah, this is meant to be lighthearted and you know, it's a bit slapstick. Yeah. Um, as opposed to, I know, these are people in a boat trying to, you know, take control of a boat even though they have no idea how to drive a boat. And then the boat gets out of control and then all these things are flying around everywhere. And and then they come back all... with, a, with a bunch of massive fish, not just one, but many. It, it felt a little bit, a little bit light. But like I said before, yeah. I think, you know how you said you went in with these expectations. Oh, I, I, I think that you think the film should have been about this and that, but that wasn't the point of the film. The film was about, about the about whole- the relationships. No, well not the relationships. It was mainly about how do we measure mental health. So I related okay, well, it, I related I it, I related that, it back- that's what the film's no, about, I, no, but I related back to, I, I had uh, someone in my life who was resentful towards their parents because they put him on ADHD medication when he was really young and he felt like it dealt, it, it um, not dealt, sorry, it dulled his senses and it dulled his personality. So I kind of related this film back to that situation in a way where just because someone is, I guess, the rebellious type or they're not conforming to what society wants, it doesn't mean that they fit in that box of, okay, you have an, a mental health issue because you're not conforming. I, that is what I took from the film. I, I think that's an incredibly valid point to explore Thank in you. art. I think that if that was the point of this film, it if that failed, was the point. It okay, failed. I disagree. It landed on its face. I disagree and, because at yeah. the end of it, he gets the lobotomy and it just shows you that if you're not willing to conform, you will be um, treated to dual, like you'll be treated the way that society wants you to be treated in the end. But I, but I think that that would have been handled better if he was, say for instance, exploring, say for instance, if it was a woman that was behaving promiscuously or a man who was homosexual or someone that didn't fit social norms of the time, then I would understand it as a massive injustice. I still think it was an injustice, but it was done on a character who was behaving in a way that 
deeply and harmfully impacted other people. So I didn't really come away from it going, oh my goodness, that poor free spirit has had these rights taken away from him. Yeah. I thought, oh, an arsehole's had something horrible happen to him. It really didn't and I guess, like, that message. In, which they didn't explicitly define it as, but in the second film, you would assume that they were defining crazy as behavioral. You know, if you're not, as you say, conforming, if you're yeah. not doing what we think you should be doing, rather than an then you are crazy yeah. rather than, like, something actually, like, some actual challenge that you're experiencing that we can actually treat you for. Mm. So what would you guys give out of five star? I don't know if I even want to ask you guys you that first. this question because I'm no, going to be triggered. Go, no, you Do first. you want me to go first? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It is definitely, for everyone listening, it is a 4.5 out of 5. Whatever Justin and David decide to tell you, they are wrong. Their opinion is wrong. Anyway, you guys go. What? You're such a sick of fan. You are such a nurse ratchet. You're just doing because oh. society's told you. That You're that's trying to tell no, us. I, I'm sorry. I watched the movie without even reading the reviews five years ago, and I loved it. And instantly knew this movie is a classic. And then I read the reviews afterwards, and I was like, yeah, I was right. It is a classic. There we a go. Classic. A classic. Justin, I'd like to know what you would give up. Um, I'm gonna get so triggered. Now. <laughs> I don't even want to know. Why? If, you're, if you're confident in your opinion, you don't need to be approved by other people. Now, how do you not see art? I can see art. I'm gonna say maybe 3.5. Oh my god! Because I think the acting was really, really great. So yeah, but based purely on the story, I didn't love the story. Oh my god. I think I'm going to read the book now because I want to know what the source I material is and, and how, and how this movie, because, you know, obviously it's difficult to adapt things and cover all the themes. So, I, and potentially I'll understand the movie more if I can see what they were trying to touch on in the, in the film. Or, yeah. Obviously, also, I understand that there are historical references that we're never going to truly understand because not just the healthcare system for the time, but the healthcare system in America before, you know, assistance for mental health was completely caved in is something that I guess we don't fully understand the context of. That said, um, I agree with Justin 3.5. Oh, you guys are wrong. You guys are so wrong. Anyway, I think we should move on to the next segment of this podcast. We are finally back and we're picking a theme out. So, David, I think I picked Celebrity Loss, so you can now pick. All right, thank you. I'm going to take the hat and I'm going to get Justin to select the theme out of the hat because he's the guest and that's going to be exciting. I hope I pick Dig Deep. Something good. We have a winner. Oh, boom, 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 boom. So this is it. Oh, that's what I did. What oh. is it? Infamy. Infamy. Beautiful. Infamy. Okay. Yep. Wow. I don't know what that means. I, I, already, I already know the film I'm going to pick. Infamy as in someone that's like known for something. Something bad. Yeah, something bad. Oh, you know what? I think I have a film in mind too. Okay, well, thank you, Justin. I, we wanna, David and I want to thank Justin for being our first special guest and coming on. Thank you so much for your time, Justin. We really, really appreciate it. Thanks, guys. I hope you enjoyed the experience. Sorry for yelling at you and not agreeing with... We're going to have to have you back so we can yell at you some more at some point. Sure. Beautiful. What do you think the next theme you're going to pick will be? Wait, what? Um, well, 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 you know, we're just we're in not a future time. Oh, you know, if you come yeah. back on as a special guest, yeah, what would you pick as a theme? Uh, maybe like small furry animals in film. Oh, okay, yeah, I could do some Bambi and Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Oh, Milo and Otis. Yeah, no, there's lots of things. Oh, no, we're not, doing, we're not doing that. Why? Because Maybe Ratatouille. That shit's fucked, that movie. Because of all the dead yeah, cats. Yeah, yeah, let's not talk about it. Anyway, oh, thank you one. so much to all our listeners for tonight's episode. Please have a lovely rest of your week. My name is David Charles Collins. You can follow me at David Charles Collins on Instagram. Um, David, this isn't about self-promotion. This is actually about promoting the podcast. So please actually follow us. My name is Quint Kirchner. Please follow us at Cinephile Paradiso Podcast on Instagram. Thank you and have a lovely week. Bye. Bye. Cinephile Paradiso is recorded on the land of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We wish to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land and pay respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land. <laughs>